You know, it encourages me to no end when you guys, I can, I can feel the pressure of your singing. Right back on my bald spot right there. I can feel that pressure. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's about time the congregation just sang and just said, we're, not, we're just going to sing. And can't you sense the arising? You sing the songs. Ephesians 3.10 says that we're to declare... The manifold wisdom of God, the powers and principalities. And you know, when we sing, we're declaring things in the heavenly realm. We're, de we're declaring God's will. We're declaring His purposes. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how things change, is when we begin to declare it. You, you're, remember what I said, your tongue is a rudder. It's not just the rudder for your life, it's the rudder for a church. And when the church declares things, it's unstoppable. That's why Jesus said not even the gates of hell could prevail against you. That's amazing. So, Lord, we declare your greatness in this place. We declare your worth. We declare your awesomeness. And you are over the top. Amazing. And, and Lord, our vocabulary isn't large enough to describe you. But know tonight that we just sense your awesomeness in this place. And Lord, I thank you for sending an anointing because the topic we have at hand tonight is going to need an anointing. Lord, but I believe you can do that in a way that produces life in your people. So Lord, I'm believing for that. Lord, we pray tonight for 32 boxes. Lord, it's not just a goal that's this arbitrary thing that was thrown out, but those are 32 kids in some nation of the world. So Lord, I pray right now, I know people here have done, have done three boxes, four boxes, six boxes, eight boxes, and, and Lord, I'm not burdening them with any more. I'm just asking you, O Holy Spirit, to move on us and move on those that may not be able to be here tonight so that, Lord, this Sunday when we gather in your house, Lord, we can say we've done our part. We, we may not be able to pull the whole wagon, but we can pull our part and we can lift up our part and we can intercede for our part. Lord, let, never let it be said that our part fell in between the gap. So, Lord, I just pray tonight that you would, you would just quicken us to do that somehow, some way, I pray. And, Lord, I thank you for the young people that have gathered in here tonight. Lord, I believe you're going to speak to them. I just pray you'd give an old pastor some way to speak into their relevant situation so that they might have ears to hear. Thank you for all the middle-aged and marrieds and singles and seniors and everyone that's gathered in this room tonight. I'm amazed as I look on a midweek. Lord, how many folks have gathered in this room? You're doing something in our midst. And Lord, we realize that. And so, Lord, we will treasure it and handle it rightly in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Give the Lord one more hand before you're seated. Praise God. You can be seated and the guys are coming down and we're going to get started as they release the offering bags. And I thank you again. Wednesday nights are making an incredible difference uh, in what we're doing financially. So I thank you for that and what you're doing. If you have your notes tonight, I'm going to be reading out of lesson nine. We're almost to the end. In fact, let me just mention to you uh, tomorrow or uh, tomorrow next week. Uh, is Thanksgiving week. Listen carefully, there'll be no Wednesday night. If you come on Wednesday, it'll be dark here. But Tuesday night, which is usually a, a good portion of the folks' cell night, 
um, Tuesday night we'll be having like our midweek service. And so we'll be finishing up Lesson 10 on Tuesday night of next week. There are no connect groups on holiday weeks, right? We, 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 I'm looking, honey. Connect groups are off on, on holiday weeks. So. Okay, so connect groups will not be meeting, so you, you'll be able to easily slip out. We're going we're gonna to keep it the same 6.30, the same time. We'll worship God, but you know how it works. We'll get to the lesson right about this time. So everybody, I'm sure, can be here. And then we can get everyone off for Thanksgiving in, in good shape uh, that Wednesday. And, and so we're looking forward to that. All right, you should have Lesson 9 in front of you. And as you know, I have my chart. I, I, you cannot imagine how much fun I have. It starts about Monday. And I just I get to make these wonderful charts and think about how I want to do this. And I knew we were getting to the great white throne judgment, which is right here. And you've been used to looking at sort of a, a timeline chart uh, in all the weeks past and talking about the seven years of tribulation and then the thousand years of millennial reign. And, and we're finally reaching the place. Now we're, we're past the 1,000 year point and we're into the final. What finally happens? And that's this great white throne judgment. And I even sketched out a little book of life there. But it made me begin to think about what happens when a person dies. And it's really important that we begin to understand what takes place because the last time I looked statistically, this is an important statistic that every one of us needs to know, 100 out of 100 people die. Very important. Unless Jesus comes again, all of us will have that moment whether it be through agedness or whether it be because accident, God forbid, uh, tragedy, natural disaster, all of us, one of these days, will cease to live. And the question is, what happens? Because if eternity is real and life somehow goes on, and, and this may be something else you haven't thought of, eternity is a long time. Do you understand that if I could pick up one grain of sand on Folly Beach and had you look up and down the washout, that one grain of sand would still not adequately demonstrate the length of your life in comparison to eternity. If I could have you imagine all the sands on ocean shores and all the sands in deserts all over the world and I picked up one little grain of sand, do you understand that that still does not adequately illustrate your life with regards to eternity? Eternity is a long time, and, and our lives are but just a blip on the screen when it comes to what ultimately God has for us. Now, the good news is, is that if we live our lives and we make the decisions and we, we connect ourselves with our Creator through the cross, that can be a wonderful proposition. But if we choose to live life on our own terms and ignore that, then it can be an absolutely horrific proposition. And so we have to talk about what's going to happen at the great white throne judgment. For it is here that all the people in the world, everyone that has ever lived, from the beginning of time, to the end of the millennial time period, everyone that has ever lived will stand before God at this judgment and they will have their last moment with their creator. 
Now, in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, and I'll not read for the sake of time all of these passages, but uh, you can begin to look them up and, and read them. It talks about, in Revelation 20, beginning with verse 7, that it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness. I'm in 20, yes, verse 4. Whoop, I need to drop down, excuse me, to verse 7. And now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth. And it says that he went to the breadth of the earth, surrounded by the camp of the saints, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books." And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now let's go through the notes. These passages describe the final judgment of unredeemed mankind. Everyone has been raised at this point ex except those who relentlessly refuse to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. But here at this moment at the great white throne, the passage speaks of the small and the great. That means it does not matter how powerful a political, governmental official may have been. It doesn't matter how rich they may have been. It doesn't matter if they were billionaires, nor does it matter if they were the smallest and the poorest of folks. Every socioeconomic strata of life will be raised up and will be there at the great white throne judgment. I want you to remember now all the people, all of those that have accepted Jesus at this point will not be there because they will have been at the judgment seat of Christ. And so this judgment is primarily and almost exclusively for those who did not choose to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. All of these people who will stand at the great white throne judgment lived under the day of grace and mercy with the hand of God reaching out to them in love. We have to understand that we are living in a time period where God reaches out to us in mercy and says, I want you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading and wooing and convicting. And if we choose to say no to that, he allows us that freedom. But the important point is to know that there will come a day that just as you stand in his presence of grace and mercy, there will come a day that you will stand in the presence of justice and holiness. See, God isn't just a God of syrupy, soupy love. You know, I, I, used, to, I, I used to love going to my grandparents. Because when I went to my grandparents, you know, you can work your grandparents when you're a kid. You know, and grandparents know this too, you know, they're not parents anymore, so they can, they're, they're kind of workable. And, and they love to just love the kids and bless the grandkids and maybe let them get away with things that mom and dad wouldn't normally let them get away with. So I love to go to my grandparents. I mean, I have wonderful memories. A lot of, a lot of people do have wonderful memories of going to their, their grandparents. And so we, we sort of develop this picture that somehow God is like our grandpa. And we can just work him when it comes time. But you need to understand that God will not be worked at this moment. 
In fact, let's talk about the atmosphere. I've heard on occasion people flippantly remark that if they were there on the final judgment day, they would challenge God concerning injustice in the world. They would say, why is there so much injustice that you could have taken care of? Why, why does evil befall good people? And, and then they would, might even look at them and say, how could you punish people if you claim to be a God of love? I sat in philosophy classes and I'd listen to philosophy professors pontificate about it. If there's a God of love, how could he even begin to uh, send people to a place called hell? Can I tell you that is nothing but sheer wicked fantasy that you would even think you'll have the capacity to stand in front of God and suddenly challenge him. It will never happen. Daniel, the Bible says, collapsed in utter fear when he saw a vision of God. The apostle John fell as a dead man when he saw the resurrected Christ. Job demanded an audience with God. And so when God finally gave him audience, Job says in Job 42 verse 5 that he despised himself and he, and, and he was ashamed for even asking for an audience. It is sheer madness on the part of human beings to think that somehow, some way, you will flippantly challenge God at this moment. The Bible says at this moment that people will try to flee, but there'll be nowhere to go. Now, what happens at this judgment? Well, it says that the unrighteous dead will be raised from their abode in Hades. Now, this is when we get into our lesson, because you really, you really need to understand what's going on. Prior to Jesus' coming, Prior to the cross, prior to Jesus coming to this earth, when people died, they went to a place called Hades. In the Hebrew, it's called Sheol. Some of the translations translate Sheol the grave and others translate Hades hell. I'm using the, the terms, the actual Greek and Hebrew terms, because it, it kind of gets us mixed up if we don't keep all of this straight. But Hades wasn't the grave, but Hades was this holding tank. And when people died, now this is before the cross, when people died, if they died righteously, they would go to a place called paradise. If they died in an unrighteous state, they would go to a place called torment, or what we would know as hell. The Bible says, according to Luke 16, 19 through 31, which is the story of the rich man and Lazarus, as you will recall, the rich man feasted sumptuously, Lazarus had nothing to eat, the dogs would lick his sores, the day came they both died, one was taken to torment, the other was taken to paradise, and, and the Bible says that when the rich man got there, he called across this great gulf, wanting to be cooled, wanting his tongue to be cooled, and uh, there Abraham was, and, and said there's no way that could happen. And of course, you know the story, he wanted, he wanted someone to go back and warn the people. Could you warn my family? Could you warn, could you warn my brothers and my sisters? Could you just warn those people that this place is real and they need to get their life right? And you know what Abraham said? He said they have Moses and the prophets. I was always interested, people, well, if hell's real and all this stuff's real, and, you know, someone ought to be able to come back and tell me. I'm telling you right now. It's real. This great gulf of fixed. Well, what happened? Jesus died. The Bible says that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Jesus literally came to this place, Hades and Sheol. And it was there that he was vindicated. It says that he was able to preach to the prisoners. And it was there upon his resurrection that paradise was actually emptied. 
And those that were in this abode were emptied out of there. Some of them literally were raised from the dead, the Bible says, on that resurrection day. The same day Jesus was raised, there were other sightings of resurrection. It was just resurrection splashover. But others, they went up to the third heaven, which is now, at this moment, if you want to know where you will go, if you have believed in Jesus, if he's your personal Lord and Savior, and you were to die tonight, where would you go? You would go to a place called the third heaven. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's where you will be until the day comes when you'll be resurrected out of the ground on that great rapture day. But from that point forward, this, this place called Hades or Sheol, it became hell. It only contains right now this place. If you die outside of Christ, this is where you are held until this day. Now, I'm telling you, this hell isn't great. It isn't, this isn't purgatory. You aren't getting purged for your venial or mortal sins. You aren't being prepared for something better. You're not just doing your time in order that you can get sprung one day. You're being held to face God for all eternity. And so that's what takes place at that particular moment. The unrighteous dead will be raised. So at the great white throne judgment, everybody that's been held here will, will suddenly be resurrected and they'll all be standing before God. Fallen angels, the scripture says, who did not keep their first estate in Tartarus will be judged as well. There's another holding tank that's called Tartarus. It's the prison of the fallen angels. I'm going to open up this can just a little bit. It's going to be enough to spark your interest and probably cause me some questions later. But in all likelihood, this is the place that either one, or, one of two things happened. Either when Satan and a third of the angels fell from heaven originally back towards the beginning of time, when he fell, either, either God determined that there were some angels that were so desperately wicked that could not be loosed on the earth that he went and held them in prison, or there is a scripture reference in Genesis 6 where it says that the sons of God had sexual relationship with the daughters of men. And in that day, Nephilim roamed the earth, or giants roamed the earth. And many people believe that a part of the reason for the flood was because out of that wicked union, God had to begin to sweep out the world of all the Nephilim and all this sort of half-breed type of people that were existing on the earth. And, and what God did in that judgment was he took those, the sons of God, which... Again, there's a lot of study. We could do a couple lessons on that. You know, why would, why would the writer use two different phrases, the sons of God and the daughters of men? Why didn't he use the sons of men and the daughters of men? Why did he choose that phrase? Well, some people believe it's because there was this unrighteous union that took place. And those, those angels were so desperately wicked, they had to be held in Tartarus until the end time. But the Bible tells us that those angels, that prison will be emptied as well. And on the day of the great white throne judgment, they will stand before God as well. People will want to flee, but there'll be nowhere to hide. The Bible says that the books will be opened. It's an interesting phrase. The books will be opened to reveal their works. Now, I want to read some verses to you that you may never have thought of before, but this is really important. Because if, if you stand before God, you think... You think that they have neat instant replay now at sporting events where the referee can make the exact call? You know, in football, if uh, they don't make a good call, the coach on the sideline can throw the red flag out and they'll do an instant replay video review to see if they made the right call. 
Well, at the, at the great white throne judgment, there's going to be a video. Now, it says books. Maybe God will use books or maybe he'll use technology. I don't know what God's going to use. But he's going to have the capacity to show you your whole life. There's never going to be a moment. Listen to me. You'll not be able to stand here and say, wait a minute, don't you remember? Wait a minute, I, I, I thought I did this. Wait a minute, you got it wrong, God. No, God will say, we've got it right here. We've got it right here. In Luke 12, verse 3, it says, Therefore, whatever you've spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. In Luke 8, verse 17, Luke 8 and 17. It says, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. And then finally, in the book of Ecclesiastes, I am just wanted to make sure we all get this. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14. I believe it's the last verse in that book. It says, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So you know the times that you snuck away and you did your internet porn when nobody thought you were looking? Everybody's going to know. See, it's better to get this stuff under the blood now than to have it revealed later. You know the liaisons that people don't know about and the things that have been hidden and they've never come under the blood? All those things are going to be revealed. Everything's going to be revealed. You see, we can, we can work grandma and we can work grandpa. We might be able to work mom and dad, but you can't work God. Every secret, every despicable thing will be revealed for all to see as evidence in a courtroom, including you'll see every opportunity that someone tried to share the gospel with you. You'll see every church service that an invitation was given, but you decided you were going to wait till the next one or maybe a little farther down the line. You'll remember, maybe tonight, I don't know. I mean, we, I, I suggested to Noah because this topic is so rarely discussed in church. I don't know if how many of you read my blog about has hell fallen on hard times. But we don't hear much about hell anymore. It's just hard to market hell, isn't it? I mean, you know, pastor's preaching on hell. Come on out. Pastor's going to preach the hell out of you. Yeah, well, something like that. I don't know. Probably not like that. But it is. You don't hear this much. But who knows? Maybe even in here tonight, there could be somebody. I know midweek is basically for the believers and for the saints. I understand who comes out on midweek. But you never know. There could be, a, there could be people there that will stand at that moment and this very service will come up on the big screen. You see, you're never going to be able to say, I, 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 I didn't know. But Lord, I, you know, I just didn't connect. The, we got to start connecting some dots. Because God's going to look and say, I, I gave you more than enough chances to connect the dots. In fact, I even believe that the judgment may also be to ascertain the degree of punishment one receives. And I think the saddest part is that there will be kind and lovable people who will be there that day. I'm going to say it again. Good doesn't cut it. Because the question is, how much good is enough good? 
See, what we do is we always evaluate ourselves to the person next to us who's a bigger hypocrite than we are. And we say to ourselves, well, they're worse than I am, and they're worse than I am, and we all know that we can pull up, you know, Adolf Hitler or somebody that we're better than. So sure, I'm better than them. I know, yeah, they'll go to hell. I know that, but come on, I'm better than that. See, the issue is it's not what you do. That's self-righteousness. And your self-righteousness isn't going to cut it. Because truth of the matter is, somewhere along the way you have lied. Somewhere along the way you have worshipped an idol. Somewhere along the way you have lusted in your heart. Somewhere along the way you violated God's standard of holiness. And just because you're a good guy doesn't cut it. And that's the saddest part of this whole instruction. And it's the part that causes everybody's mind to go tilt. How could good, lovable, kind can I just say, there'll be moral people here. I know, I know atheists who are moral people, but that's not what that moment is all about. That moment is about you rejected Jesus Christ as the one who could pay for your sins and bring you back into connection with God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through Him. He is the door. He's the gate. He's the way. You say, I don't, I don't buy that. Listen, we've got we've to get the arrogance knocked out of us. It isn't about what you think. It's about what God thinks. You, you say, well, I don't understand. I just don't think it's right to good people. Who cares? It's what God thinks. And then when, it doesn't matter what your philosophy professor thinks. Or that person that's so smooth and sharp and such a smarty and he has all the right questions. It doesn't matter what he thinks. It matters what God thinks. It's not we who are the center of the universe telling God how he ought to set it up. It's God looking at us saying you're born in sin and this is how it's fixed. Period. And it's at this moment... When all of that stuff, when you said, well, I thought this and I thought that and he said that and I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm an innocent party here. And God says, done. It's over. Now, why would God do that? It's because there will be no accusation from hell. There'll be no voice arising from the pits of hell that you'll hear cried out saying, God is unjust. I'm here in hell, and God, it's not right. You are unjust. I was, I was wrongly convicted. You'll not hear those sounds out of hell because everyone will stand, the Scripture says, without excuse. And that's the one cry you won't hear is that, God, you've been unjust. No, God has been more than just. He's been more than fair. He's been more than patient. Has He not? You see, his holiness, his holiness is as powerful in him as his love. In fact, you can't have true love without having true holiness. See, we've so warped the concept of love. We think love is getting our need met. If you love me, you would. If you love me, you give in. If you love me, you let me have my way. See, we have so corrupted love. I mean, I'm so sick of listening to celebrities on whether it's, you know, the television, on the cable, or, you know, and they're, they, they're in love, they're out of love. This love, that, they don't understand love. There's, there's a, God loves out of his holiness. He pursues you out of his righteous passion. 
And you've got to understand that there's a part of God that is graceful and merciful, but there's a part of God that's holy and just, and that has to be vindicated. You can't just, you can't accentuate his mercy and forget his justice. In fact, some have suggested that if the irreducible residue of sin, you've heard me teach this before, you know, I I teach that sin, the carnal nature, is ostensibly selfishness. If you want to know what sin is, sin is selfishness. Sin is wanting what you want. If you look at the Ten Commandments, and you can go down each one of those commandments, and no matter what it says, the essence of it is you want what you want. And so if the essence of sin is selfishness, then here's what God does. Think about this. All God does is, he says, you've wanted it your way, your whole life, then you get to spend eternity with you. And that's the, that's the enigma and the paradox. It's called the lake of fire, but, but in essence, he says, there'll also be darkness as well as fire. There'll be the screams, and yet you'll be all alone. It'll be a horrific, terrible place. Now, let's talk about what this place will be like. There are actually as I mentioned, four different locations that are being used to hold people and spiritual beings until the time of judgment. I already mentioned to you this abode called Hades, or Sheol. It is translated, really, the world of the dead. I've mentioned that to you already, how all of that works, so we'll not cover that again. The second area is Tartarus. Sometimes that's referred to as the prison, or at times uh, even, uh, yeah, prison, uh, Tartarus. And uh, Greek mythology, actually, it's interesting, Tartarus is, is even below uh, Sheol and the hell. In fact, this is really interesting to think about. I just was thinking about this, that, that, you know, a lot of mythology that comes from the Greeks, I believe, are a twisted understanding of what actually took place in the Bible. You know how, how in, in Greek mythology they have Hercules and, and Zeus and these superhumans? Well, it could be that those were just the myths that, that were born out of this era, as well, So we don't take our cues from, from the Greeks, but the truth of the matter is that even they understood that there was a place or an abode uh, for those people to be held. Um, the abyss is another one of these holding tanks right here, the abyss. It's also called the bottomless pit. It's interesting that the abyss must be the home of all sorts of devils. It must be, to some extent, uh, a dwelling place of Satan because... The Bible tells us that when that fifth trumpet is blown during the tribulation period and when locusts come out of the abyss, they begin to move on the earth. And I I literally believe that that locust is probably imagery of demonic forces that will begin to take place. When Satan is bound for a thousand years, he's bound and he's sent to the abyss. And so obviously that's a a demonic area that that has been used... uh, through the years to hold uh, satanic forces. And then lastly, and the one we're zeroing in tonight, is Gehenna. Gehenna sometimes is referred to as the final hell or the lake of fire. Jesus uses the term Gehenna as well in Matthew, I think it was 25, when he begins to talk about a fire that burns uh, and cannot be stopped. Gehenna was actually a real place outside the walls of Jerusalem. It was the city dump. And everybody would take their refuse and everybody would take their trash from the city of Jerusalem and they would go outside the gate and they would throw it in that place and it was called Gehenna. And Gehenna constantly burned. There was no stopping to it. It was a constant burning of the trash and the refuse and everything else, all the garbage 
that would be collected in, uh, in Jerusalem. And Jesus used that word, Gehenna, in order to begin to demonstrate what the final hell would be like. I don't know if you imagine what a, a, a burning uh, landfill would smell like. I don't know if you can imagine the refuse and, and you, know, people's, you know, people's defecation. I'm trying to be gentle here. And, and the things that they would throw out with regards to trash. Even bodies, I would suspect, would be thrown in this place. And if you can imagine the smells... And if you can imagine something burning and, and, and the heat that would come off of that. And this is the abode that the word tells us that everything, of course paradise is there, but everything will go into the lake of fire. And that's where it will stay perpetually. Um, some have suggested that Gehenna is actually a place of annihilation. I've heard it taught that finally when everybody's thrown in Gehenna, they're just utterly annihilated and gone. You know what, all I can say is, I hope that's true, but I don't think so. I just don't think so. The atmosphere of hell is, will be utter darkness. It's interesting, and I don't know if anybody has studied this, but there's, there's actually a course at Harvard University that's called Thanatology. It actually means the study of death. I was reading through some of the writings that this is in Harvard that were done, and they call them OBEs or NDEs, near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences. And most people, when they hear about these out-of-body experiences, they always hear the, the stories about the, the ones who were hovering over their body or they saw a great light and there were these warm feelings and they didn't know if they even wanted to come back. And those are the stories we usually hear. But most of us don't know that, that there has been research done on those that don't come back with such stories. That there is a growing pile of evidence that's being done not by, not by Christians or pastors, but is being done on secular universities of near-death experiences of those, when they come out of these near-death experiences, screaming or yelling or having such a horrific experience that they forget about it. Their mind literally closes off to it and they can't, they can't even begin to remember it unless somebody gets to them quickly after that particular moment. Some see the light, others experience great horror stories. All I can tell you is this, is that after, after we die, something happens. The Bible tells us that this atmosphere will be a fire that burns and yet is never consumed. The scripture tells us that we'll have our full faculties. In fact, if you'll read The Rich Man and Lazarus, You'll see that the rich man, as he begins to call forth, his tongue is parched, he can see, he can hear. All of our faculties will be in total operation. You will see, you will hear, you will smell, you will taste, you will touch, and you will feel. And all of these things will be happening even through all of eternity. Apparently, your memory will still be in operation. The rich man says that he knew his family. He remembered his opportunities. You too will remember all of your opportunities that were squandered or rejected. And you'll eternally ask yourself, why didn't I do what I knew I should do? Why didn't I do it? Scripture tells us that there'll be torment, actually from demonic spirits that will take place. There'll be unquenchable thirst and hunger. And apparently, the Scripture tells us that, that it is a place where the worm dieth not. Now, I don't know exactly what that means except to say this, that, that I suspect that there'll be some form of animal that will literally 
eat on you. But you'll never go away and it'll never be satisfied. You say, that's, that's, Pastor, that's just gruesome. You mean, you mean God will do that to people? God's not doing anything to people. Let me just stop right there and call time out. God's not doing anything. God's not the one that started this mess. It was a guy called Adam and Eve. It was human beings that got this started and we procreated and we passed the stain of sin on down to us. It's not just what we do, it's who we are. We were born alienated from God. We were born self-consumed. We were born needing a Savior. And God didn't, God didn't do all of this. He did All of this stuff was reserved for Satan and his crew. It was never meant for human beings. It was never meant for mankind. I want you to know right now that God is doing everything possible to stop men and women and young people. He's doing everything in his power up to the point of violating your freedom. And the only reason he doesn't violate your freedom is because he wants you to come to him, not because you have to, but because you want to. He reaches out up to the point of violating your ability to make a choice. And he says, I want you to love me because you want to love me. Not because I'm forcing you to. Not because you're like some puppet on a string that I can just yank around. The enemy is the one who yanks you around. It's God the one that says, I I want you to come and know me. I want you to want me. I sent my son. I sent the very best that I had. He died gruesomely. He did it for you. You don't have to die. You don't have to, you don't have to go to a cross. You don't have to do any of this. All you have to do is say, I'm legitimately sorry for my sin, Lord, and, and for not recognizing this. And I yield to you and I open up to you and I confess that you are God. You are Lord. I believe you were raised from the dead in order to raise me up out of my trespass and sin. Listen, you won't be able to stand before God and say, that's not fair. God will look at you And say, remember that Wednesday night when you thought Pastor hollered and yelled and he was trying to market hell and you said, yeah, maybe. He's fair. Hell is no joke. It is no fantasy. You say, well, then why why don't you, if we're the believers here, then why are you telling it to us? Seems like there's a world out there that needs to hear it. Well, you're probably right. But I'm telling it to you to remind us all why it is we do what we do. It's not just teaching people just so you can be blessed, get your hundredfold. I believe all those things. I believe God wants to bless you. He gave us life in that more abundantly. I believe on all those kingdom precepts. And we've been talking about them on Sunday. But let me, let me tell you that a part of the reason why we're here is because we are the life-saving station And people, really, really, really good people, are going to miss it. Because it just somehow didn't fit into their thought patterns. Well, one of these days, God's going to make it fit into everyone's thought pattern. Can you just bow your head and close your eyes here? I'm going to interact with you in just a minute, but there's an anointing here right now. I promised you I wasn't going to tell you scare tactics. and I, just, I was just going to give you the facts. You know, I had, a, I had a friend of mine. I've actually had two friends, two close friends, 
in my teenage years, I had one tragically die. And I can tell you for a fact, he didn't know Jesus. And there is occasion, even to this day, probably 30 plus years later, that his face will come into my mind. And I'll shake my head and I'll just say, I wish, I wish it would have been different. I wasn't in that accident. Praise God, I had a chance. There was an altar that was opened and I had a chance. He didn't have a chance. He's my friend. Can I just share this with you? I got, I've got family members. This is the hardest thing in the world for me to, for me to share. But I've got, I've got family members that have passed away and are gone, and I'm not real sure they made it. And maybe, maybe it, helps, it, it helps me tonight to realize that maybe I can't do anything for my family members that have died and gone on, but maybe I can help some of your family members. When we were worshiping God, His presence came. You could sense the love of God. And now we're sensing really the fear of the Lord and the justice of the Lord. Come on, with every head bowed now, I don't want anyone looking around. I mean, I'm, I'm, as, serious, I'm as serious as that judgment that's coming. Would you be honest before God right now? And if this were your moment, now listen to me. I, if I can talk you out of your salvation, then you, 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 weren't, you weren't where you needed to be. You can know that you know that you know. My question tonight to you is, is that if, if you're not right with God, if, 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 if somehow you're alienated from him and, 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 and you know, you know you're not where you need to be, let me tell you, don't, don't play games with this. That second friend I was talking about, he was, he was about my age and he was in his mid-40s and he was... He was doing his second job just delivering papers, throwing papers out of the window. Had a wife and two small children. And they aren't really sure what happened, but something happened that, that he had to quickly veer his vehicle as he was delivering papers. And he took his car in a ditch. It wasn't, it wasn't a massive automobile accident, but it, it tipped just right. And it bent his neck just right. And in a moment he was gone. A hundred percent of us in this room, unless Jesus comes, will meet him with every head bowed and every eye closed. It's a Wednesday night. There's no better night tonight with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you, if you aren't sure, then I would be doing you a disservice not to get you sure tonight. Would you right now, in this moment, realize you'll be standing before every nation, every person, Every tribe, every tongue. But if you need to get it right before God right now, just I, I want you to be so sure. I, I just want you to stand up right now, and I want you to come and join me right now. If you, if you aren't sure, we're going to pray tonight for people tonight. Just stand up right where you are right now. Just say, that's me. That's me. Come on. Just come on down here with me. There's one. I just want you to be sure. If that's you right now, come on. God bless you. Come on. Just be sure. God bless you. Just come on. Be sure. So this is supposed to happen on Sunday. No, Wednesday. It happens on Wednesday. 
Come on. How about you? How about you? I'd, I'd wait all night if I could. And I don't know you, but I know enough to know that I sense God saying, come on, give him a shot. Give him a chance right now. Come on. If you aren't sure, listen, it doesn't mean you're evil. It just means I want my life right. This is real stuff. This is real stuff. See, I just I get to watch the Holy Ghost. Come on. You don't look. You intercede right now. You need to be praying for yourself or someone else right now. Come on. They're coming right now. They're coming right now. They're coming right now. I can't, I can't, I can't stop what happened to my friends when I was a teenager, but I can, I can help these teenagers. And I'm glad that 99% of the time, what I share with you is good, 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 good news. But the 1% needs to be shared too. Come on, pray, folks. Let's just pray. I just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we got them all tonight. I may, we may have, but we're just, come on, let's one more, just keep praying. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that if you're knocking at someone's door right now, Holy Spirit, do what I can't do. I can't reach in there and tug at their heart and say, why not? Why not now? Why not tonight? Why not? Why not? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want Pastor Noah to come on down. Just and I, I want Lady uh, Trace pick some of your folk to to come. We're just we need to get with people. Some of the guys I work with, I want the guys. Come on, Randy and Tim, and, and if Wally's here, and, and the guys I work, come on, find somebody right now. I want I want you to get with them. Hey, and, and, and we'll love them, but I want you to get, Tyler, I want you to turn around. Come on, turn around and get with them right now and pray with them. Just, Miss Dot, I just, I hate to make you do it, but just get down there with her right now. Come on now, let's get, come on, we're praying people. We're praying people through right now. This, I know it's Wednesday. I know it's been a long day. Eternity is a long time, isn't it, folks? I, eternity is a whole lot longer than your day. Come on, I want you to get in their eyes right now. I don't, I don't mean in their grill, and, 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 but with compassion. And come on, pray. I confess my sin. I repent from it. Lord, I repent from this stupid stuff. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. Come on, make them, make them pray out loud too. Come on, church, begin to pray right now. Let's intercede. This is the harvest. Come on, we got to intercede for the harvest. Lord, send us the harvest. Send us the harvest. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. Come on, we're not signing cards and shaking hands and sending you home, man. We're going to pray till we pray through. Till we get the I know. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. I know. Come on, we're not raising up our goodness. There's nothing good in me. No, not in anything. But Lord, I receive your goodness into my life right now. I receive your righteousness in my life right now. I choose you. I choose life. I choose life. 
Well, and this is what, it's not just about your need getting met or your teaching uh, a need to be filled. Come on, it's about praying for people. These are real life people. We're making real life decisions, real time decisions. Come on, I want everybody that's sitting down right now, just lift your hand towards them right now and say, Lord, Lord, let them press through to a place they've never been before in you. Let them have an assurance they've never had before in you. Come on, Lord, transform them. Let conversion come into the room tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Let them be translated from darkness to light. Let them become new creatures in Christ. Let newness just flood over them in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Have you guys prayed with? And praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody stand with me. We stand. I'll take questions. I guess I'll take the questions next week. We're going we're gonna to go with what's going on right now. Hallelujah. Come on, let's begin to bless the Lord. Come on, let's honor the Lord in the house tonight. Lord, we honor you tonight. Come on, I'll never forget how Evie e. Hill, he was my favorite. He said, I don't want you to go to hell. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. God would that all would be saved and that all would come to repentance. Hallelujah. The only sin he can't forgive is the one that, can't, that you refuse to put under the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, his blood will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Get it in the light. There'll be a day it'll be in the light. But this is the day of grace and mercy. This is the light you want to walk under. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, thank you. Lord, we give you thanks tonight. Lord, I, Lord my mind just is repulsed by, by, by hell. It's repulsed by, by the torment. I'm repulsed. And Lord, it's, just, it's wicked and I can't imagine it. But Lord, we have to face that this is a part of the gospel story. And that, that's why Jesus came and died. It's why he descended into the lower region. So we wouldn't have to descend in that awful place. It's why he bore every sin so we wouldn't have to carry it. It's why he died so we wouldn't have to go through that second death. Lord, I pray tonight. I pray, Lord, that is as, as serious and with such solemnity hell and Hades and these things come to us, Lord, I pray right now that you would grant us your joy that we are not those. I want you guys that came down here tonight to hear me really care. You are not those. You are not those. That's good news. That's good news. Hallelujah. So, Lord, now restore their joy. Come on, listen to me. It's okay to have the fear of the Lord come. That's a good fear. It's like there's bad guilt and good guilt. There's like bad fear and good fear. 
And the fear of the Lord is good because it, it reminds us of these awesome, awesome things. And that's, that's good. He is. It, it, it is a terrible thing. The scripture says, what a terrible thing it is to land in the hands of a living God. And that is true. But God doesn't want you now to live in fear. Now I'm talking, I know who I'm talking to here. He doesn't want you to live in fear. He's not looking for reasons to toast you. Are you following me? God's not finding a way to find a, a loophole in the clause. So when they come to him, he can go, gone. That's not God. The word says that he, does, he doesn't want any to perish, but that all would come to repentance. So he's, he's doing everything he can to say, I, I love you and I, I'm for you and I'm going to help you. And, and, and so, Lord, I'm breaking, because I know tonight you're people, I'm breaking, Lord, the unrighteous fear and the torment. Lord, they, they are going to leave this place with torment. Oh, Lord, if they are, it's because they're not right with you yet. <laughs> But Lord, for those that have made these decisions, Lord, I, I now speak assurance to them in the name of Jesus. That there's an assurance in you that comes. I speak that assurance to them. Lord, that they can know that they know that they know. That they will be reminded when the enemy comes with condemnation that they'll say, no, 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 wait a minute. I, I made a decision on that Wednesday night. And I made it. And it's done in Jesus' name. But I break, Lord, that, that fear that the enemy would now want to twist this moment and try to somehow produce unrighteous things. I break fear and torment, and I declare one more time, you are not those. You are not those. In Jesus' name. So, Lord, do that right now. Let the Spirit of God come and seal this work in people's hearts. Lord, help them now be able to fully embrace the love of God and the holiness of God and the mercy of God, and the justice of God, and, and the perfect way you come to us in all of these ways. Let that happen, I pray. Lord, I pray for your people tonight. I pray for all of us right now that we would be consumed, Lord, one more time with the truth that you're using us to bring good news. Lord, I, I just confess there are moments it's easy to get wrapped up in life and to forget the divine mandate on your people. And Lord, I pray that we would be sensitive to divine moments and appointments. I, I pray that we would be sensitive to conversations that might be open doors to share good news with people. Lord, help us to never forget that, that we are firemen rushing into burning buildings, doing our best to pull out people for all eternity. And, and, and Lord, we want to teach the saints. We want them to mature. But Lord, help us to also remember that, that we've, got to, we've got to reach a lost and dying world. These truths are real. So Lord, impress that upon us as well. And Lord, we thank you for your sweet presence here. Come on, let's go back now to that moment when we started service tonight. Remember that sweet presence that was here. Isn't that cool? That, that, that's, that's the fruit of a life with the Lord, is his sweet presence to be able to worship Him and to sense Him in deliverance and to sense Him in healing and to sense Him in joy and to sense Him in peace and to sense Him in hope. Thank You, Lord, for doing that in this church. Lord, I thank You for this people. I thank You for this church, Lord. I, you know what, Lord? It's Your church. And I'm just, I'm, 
Lord, I'm privileged to be able to bring leadership to your church, but I thank you for it. I thank you for the love of this people. I thank you for the open hearts of this people. Lord, I thank you that we can preach faith and a God that will bless our socks off. And yes, we can preach about hell and an anointing will fall. That the whole counsel of God will come. So Lord, thank you that there's a place that does that. And it's because of these people. So Lord, bless them, Lord. Do great things in them the rest of this week, I ask you. In Jesus' name, amen, and amen, and amen. Amen. All right, guys. Y'all find somebody's neck to hug and love on them, and as you're loving on them, tell them that God loves you. Angels are rejoicing. Hallelujah.